The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. If it feels easy, you're not learning. Infants experience fall after fall until slowly their brain and body figure out how to stop falling in all sorts of situations. Infants live what might be called the beginner's creed. If you don't learn to fail, you'll fail to learn. Hi all, I'm Michael Kovnett, and this is The Next Big Idea Daily. This podcast is brought to you by The Next Big Idea Club. We're a community of lifelong learners who continually spark our curiosity with books, book summaries, podcasts, audio, video e-courses. Today's episode is a tribute of sorts to this approach. It's the realization that your education doesn't end when you're out of school, that it's always a good time to learn something new, and that being bad at something you're trying for the first time is part of the fun. Here to share his ideas with us is journalist Tom Vanderbilt, author of the book Beginners, The Transformative Joy of Lifelong Learning. I wrote Beginners essentially to get over my fear of being bad at things. When you're a late 40-something parent who's never been on a snowboard in his life, and your young daughter suddenly wants to go snowboarding, it's far easier to simply sign her up for lessons and wait on the sidelines, proudly taking pictures and posting them to social media, than to actually get out there and snowboard yourself testing your aging body and your insufficient health insurance. But I want to argue that there's great power in being a beginner. You suddenly see the world with fresh eyes, what the Buddhist monk Shunru Suzuki famously calls beginner's mind. The habits of the expert, as he called them, can be an obstacle. Your own experience gets in the way of finding fresh solutions. In one study that looked at the famous candle problem, in which people are asked to attach a candle to a wall using nothing more than a match and a box of tacks, Five-year-olds actually did better than adults. Why? Because adults, the author suggested, think of the box as a container for tax, not a theoretical shelf for the candle. Being new at something can force you to look at the world in a new way, to look at yourself in a new way. We often think that learning new things as an adult must be related to one's work, or because you lack fulfillment in work. But as Winston Churchill, himself a keen amateur painter, once observed, those whose work is their pleasure are those who most need the means of banishing it at intervals from their minds. And even learning new skills that might seem irrelevant to one's career may actually profoundly help that career. Research shows that Nobel Prize-winning scientists were 22 times more likely to have engaged in amateur pursuits, particularly in the performing arts, than the average scientist. I doubt any of them woke up one day and thought, hmm, what my neurobiology career really needs is for me to learn the tango. But perhaps, In taking on those new pursuits as a beginner, they could think again, like children, freed from preconceptions, unburdened by expectation, less categorical in their outlook. They could push beyond their domains, beyond themselves. And they could have fun, something that's never to be underestimated as an agent of learning and discovery. As we try to learn new things, we should keep in mind the experience of infants learning to walk. And of course, that was once all of us. For beginners, I spent some time at NYU's Infant Action Lab, watching babies learn to move. Infants spend roughly a third of their day for six solid months practicing walking, and they don't truly perfect it until years later. Along the way, they'll have fallen a lot. 
Infants fall an average of 17 times an hour. Novice walkers who struggle to regain balance with nearly every step can take up to 30 tumbles an hour. Most of us, if we had this kind of failure rate in something, would simply give up. What's strange is that when the infants switch from something like crawling to walking, they don't seem to remember those risky moments from crawling. They'll suddenly try things that they had previously learned were dangerous. Isn't that bad? Actually, no. I was told by the lab's director, Karen Adolph, that you don't want infants to learn fixed associations. Babies are growing at astonishing speeds. The things that worked for the crawling infant might not work for the walking infant, while the insurmountable hurdles they faced as crawlers might suddenly disappear as they become capable walkers. Most importantly, Adolf says, you don't want the baby to learn to stop trying. That persistence, that willingness to fail, and that adaptability are just a few of the many things that adult beginners can learn from infants. Another key lesson is the importance of changing up your practice. Infants never take the same walk twice. They don't do drills, they explore. You don't want to teach an infant one proper way to walk to be repeated in lockstep. When it comes to learning, variability is key. The neurophysiologist Nikolai Bernstein called it repetition without repetition. What might look like clumsiness or randomness on the part of infants can simply be beginners exploring a range of possible solutions, which seems to help promote faster learning. Infants also remind us that progress is not often linear. Learning happens in fits and starts. Stages are only rough benchmarks. Development does not always march uniformly in one direction. Infants may learn to walk, then briefly revert to crawling. Progress is often U-shaped, meaning kids and adults often get worse before they get better. Infants seem to learn best when operating near the limits of their current skill level, what's called the zone of proximal development. In other words, we should always be on the edge of the possible. Lastly, skills open new worlds. Infants who learn to walk can suddenly go more places and do more things. Infants are faster in the first week of horrible walking, Karen Adolph told me, than they are in their 21 weeks of crawling. None of this will be easy. If it feels easy, you're not learning. Infants experience fall after fall until slowly their brain and body figure out how to stop falling in all sorts of situations. Infants live what might be called the beginner's creed. If you don't learn to fail, you'll fail to learn. A mathematician named Richard Hamming once drew an interesting distinction between scientists and engineers. In science, he wrote, if you know what you are doing, you should not be doing it. Meaning, science was about probing beyond the edge of what we know. It was about experimentation and failure. There was no need to dabble in already proven hypotheses. In engineering, however, wrote Hamming, if you do not know what you are doing, you should not be doing it. Engineers are tasked with making sure things do not fail, with ensuring certain quantifiable levels of performance. No one wants to drive across an experimental bridge. In our careers, we're largely engineers. We need to deliver reliable competence. When the New York Times asks me to write something, I don't send them an article written in iambic pentameter or haiku or free verse or any other literary flights of fancy I may have, as much as I'm sometimes tempted. But we all, I think, also want to be scientists. We want to mess around, screw things up, push the boundaries just to see what might happen. We want to get in over our heads without worrying too much about the consequences. We want to see what other dimensions there might be to this self that presents every morning in the bathroom mirror. Those hidden cells become, arguably, even more important as you age and settle into a being that's ever more defined by the outside world and by you. As the writer John Casey wrote, My old teacher Kurt Vonnegut told me that to flatter a person, it's more effective to praise their minor secret vanities than their major accomplishments. We don't always want to be known for that thing we're known for. 
One of the biggest obstacles to learning new skills is not your body, but your brain. When we get really good at something, we stop thinking about it. It becomes automatic. When we perform a well-practiced task like walking, our brain is constantly running a series of predictions about what will happen. These predictions are incredibly robust. Think about when you step on a broken escalator. You feel for a moment that it's moving because of all the times it actually has been moving. Often the biggest barrier to skill learning is overthinking. When stroke victims have to learn to walk again, their gait is often awkward because they're actually thinking about putting one foot in front of another. Under the theory of reinvestment, as Rich Masters calls it, when you try to exert conscious control of your body, you limit the so-called degrees of freedom. You freeze up. As Masters describes it, the trick is getting people to learn to move without knowing they're learning. Good skill learning also requires what movement scientist Gabrielle Wolf calls an external focus. Athletes do better when they focus not on what their own bodies are doing, but some external target. As Mohamed Abdul Rauf, one of the NBA's most accurate free throw shooters, describes it, I just relax and shoot, and when I shoot, I look toward the back of the rim. Your brain can get in the way of your body in all kinds of ways. When I was trying to learn to sing, I would struggle to hit higher notes, which seems natural. I'm a baritone. But these were notes I could actually achieve in conversational speech. What was happening was that I was thinking about the high notes, and I was literally trying to stretch my body upwards as I sang, which only strained the very mechanism needed to produce those notes. My teacher had a nice little trick. When I was about to hit a high note, briefly bend my knees and dip down. I could suddenly hit the notes. When my daughter plays competitive chess, I often notice that she gets particularly nervous about playing higher or even equally rated boys as opposed to girls. This is a very real thing in chess. Psychologists call it stereotype threat. The internalization of some external stereotype actually makes you perform worse. Boys are said to be better at chess than girls, so girls often underperform when playing against boys, playing worse than their rating would suggest. Adults, I think, face a similar stereotype threat when it comes to being a beginner. It's that little voice within saying, it's too late, you're too old. Only children can learn chess or the piano. It is true that it gets harder, sometimes marginally, sometimes significantly, to learn new skills as one gets older, particularly when you're an absolute novice in a field. As work by psychologist Neil Sharnas shows, when subjects of various age and experience were asked to learn a novel word processing program, when a subject had experience, age didn't so much matter. But when they were novices, age suddenly came into play. The older the novice, the older it took to learn. So that's the bad news. If you're older, you're going to have to work harder than a younger person to pick up some new skill. The good news is that the brain is still ready, willing, and able to learn at any age. Take, for instance, juggling. A week's worth of trying to learn to juggle, three balls, already has a big effect on brain plasticity. That's the shorthand way to describe the brain reshaping itself, rewiring its connections. A study that looked at a group of older subjects with a mean age of 60 years who were learning to juggle found that their brains exhibited a similar level of plasticity as the subjects in an earlier study where the mean age was 20. This doesn't mean those older people are going to actually learn as easily as younger subjects. But here's the important thing to remember. The more learning that older adults take on, the faster they seem to learn the more they become like younger adults. Thank you, Tom. Friends, I don't know what your weekend plans are, but I'm here to encourage you to try something new. Even if you suck at it, you'll be growing, and that's a good thing. I'll be back next week to help you on your journey of lifelong learning. We'll have a fresh batch of big ideas for you, so come on back. 
This week's episodes were written and produced by me, Michael Kovnat, and edited by Caleb Bissinger. The next Big Idea Daily is part of the LinkedIn Podcast Network. See you Monday.